Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello and welcome to the episode. As our energy system transforms, value chains are disrupted and brand new types of companies are emerging. And today we're talking with one such company, Zenobi Energy, who are focusing on two fast-growing parts of the market, large-scale batteries and electric buses. We'll be exploring their role in the transition, what it's like to be part of a young, fast-growing company in these sectors, and their experiences so far, as well as, as usual, looking into the future with the Talking New Energy crystal ball. I'm also joined by... Chris Matson from LCP Energy, who Delta are now part of. So, Chris, um, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Good to be here. And Stephen, uh, welcome. So, Stephen, you're um, founding director at Zenobi Energy. Can you give us a short background on Zenobi for our listeners that haven't come across you before? Yeah, sure. Um, so Zenobi is a uh, owner and operator of large uh, grid scale storage, um, and secondly, also a provider of turnkey solutions for large uh, business fleets uh, that want to go electric. So buses, trucks, uh, last mile delivery vans. So we help with um, planning that journey, but then also building out the infrastructure, financing it dealing with the risks and also reusing the batteries when they come back off the vehicle in that grid scale storage portfolio I talked about earlier. So Stephen, are you a would you describe yourself as an infrastructure company or are you active in trading the flexibility from batteries or both? How do you fit neatly into a box in terms uh, of we we struggle with that. And we struggle with that, and it's not just because of what we do. I think it's as you as you pointed out that this sector is evolving so quickly, and some sectors are merging, some are breaking apart. So it's hard to to work out what the boxes are. But uh, we, in a way, we're doing a bit all of the above. We're an infrastructure provider, right? We we fund things uh, like an infrastructure provider would, but we perhaps take a bit more risk uh, than uh, than others would, taking operational risk away from from companies, be that utilities, when we're on the large scale side of our business, or on the fleet side, we take a risk away from, will these vehicles always be charged on time, et cetera, et cetera, and taking the asset risk away and saying, look, you want the benefit of an electric vehicle, but you might not want all the hassle associated with plugging it in, charging it, dealing with battery replacement, scheduling, training people on how to use them best, et cetera, et cetera. And can you give our listeners an idea of scale? Uh, when you started, some numbers yeah. around people or revenues or numbers of batteries, whatever, sure. whatever works. So we started in um, early 2017. Um, and since then, we now uh, own and operate about 660 uh, electric buses, which uh, was recently told on a trip to New York is more than there are in the whole of North America. And uh, we've got about 270 megawatts of uh, grid scale storage uh, operation or nearly completed build and we're active in the uk australia new zealand belgium the netherlands and and also setting up in the us okay so aspirations to be global is that too strong or well we have to follow our customers so um i mean australia new zealand while lovely places wouldn't have been my first 
choice when trying to expand abroad during a global pandemic. Um, but we had to follow our customers. So we were working with a, a London-based transport company, part of an Australian group, and they wanted help there as well because obviously grid challenges, uh, volatility in energy markets, reliability, and air quality are, are big concerns. So there was mm. a need for uh, for our services to really put all the different stakeholders together in a room and say, look, we're going to do this. We'll put our hand up. It's always our fault if something goes wrong, but we'll provide that yeah catching all the things that 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 threaten to drop between the cracks basically okay um Stephen, we'll come back shortly there's lots of i want to ask you and dig into about your your business um chris would you like to just give a few words about what you do at lcp yeah sure so um i'm part of the lcp's energy analytics practice and i guess there's two parts to our practice one is is very short term um based so looking for helping optimizers and traders and analysts um, understand what's happening in the energy market in kind of real time so the balancing market but the, but the area I focus on is the is the other is the other side so looking rather than the next couple of hours looking at the next couple of decades so um, providing kind of long-term market forecasts and analysis to support um, businesses in the electricity market so particularly in GB in Ireland um, and I guess a lot of our focus in the last 18 to 24 months has been helping battery storage developers and investors providing them with um, forecasts for the kind of revenue stack associated with those with those assets and long-term forecasting of revenues from batteries um, lots of unknowns in that um, yep can you give our listeners a bit of a feel for the challenges or how you go about looking at what a battery can earn over the next 10 or 20 years? Yeah, sure. So I guess the modeling that we do is very much granular and very much kind of fundamentals based. So one thing I think you can't do at the moment is look at the past and then try and extrapolate anything forward because what's happening right now is not going to be very indicative of what the market looks like in five or 10 years time. So huge amounts of renewable generation coming onto the system, but those sort of fundamentals around, you know, the drivers of how those sort of half hourly prices are being set in the market um, will will remain, but they'll just, that those, you know, the actual volatility and the shapes of those prices will, through the day will change a lot. Um, So we're sort of doing that kind of fundamentals based modeling, bringing in, you know, layering on the different assumptions around how much renewable penetration we expect to see, how demand shapes expect to change, and then putting into that the the battery storage assets and and then sort of essentially trying to simulate what will actually happen in reality. So trying to kind of optimize their behavior across across the day and across multiple markets to see what sort of revenue streams, what sort of revenue um, levels they'll be able to capture in the in the longer term. And Chris, if it's this might be too crude a way to think about it, but broadly, revenues uh, would they be curves going ever ever steeper upwards? Uh, <laughs> are they relatively flat in the modelling? Do they do they tail off? Are we in the uh, in the good period now? Or can you give a lesson as a feel for broadly the outlook for batteries? So, so I guess. So our focus is in the in the GB market, but I guess this is probably true across most markets at the moment, is that revenues are very high at the moment. So as a result of very high gas prices and very high electricity prices, there are big spreads available. There's also been lots of um, 
or very high high levels of revenue available from the sort of these sort of nascent frequency response markets, which in GB have been undersupplied. So we've had you know frequency response prices being kind of set at the kind of caps that have been price caps for those markets because there's been an undersupply. So revenues over the past twelve to eighteen months have been very very high. So the, the the kind of medium term is probably downwards from that as the, as the market kind of reaches a level where there's more competition and more kind of, um, as we expect, electricity prices to return to some level of normality mm. over the next few years. But I guess the long-term um, uh, fundamentals are very positive. So, you know, with more renewables coming in the system and everything else. So although, although I would sort of, you know, caution against, as I said, sort of saying, extrapolating forward what revenues are today, that the long-term... Uh, revenues are still are still positive. We've seen that as well. I mean, the energy system is very much like a balloon, right? You squeeze one end, the value moves somewhere else, and it's mm. just about being able to follow that as you as you go along on on the evolution the next few years. And how, Stephen? What's that like when you're financing batteries? I mean, presumably you're not financing. Well, we're them running them. Balance. We're running them as well. Uh, so mm. we. we 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 operate um or, well we have been operating about eighty megawatts for for the last uh, five years and obviously the portfolio has now grown, um and being active in those markets it's all about optionality as you want to be act we have the technical capability to be active in as many markets as possible, uh, and then op- as a portfolio optimizer move capacity in the different markets uh, where where you see value, um. But financing, from a financing perspective, I mean, we always determined we didn't just want to put our own equity in it. We wanted banks to come along with us to bring the cost of capital down so the cost of our services could go down. And getting them comfortable with a a mix of merchant revenue streams where you say, well, actually, these are the five revenues I've got today. These are the seven I might have tomorrow. And the prices are all going to do this is, is a challenging story. But we have seen uh, banks get a lot more comfortable with that since we did the, I think the first non-recourse loan with uh, Generation IM and then uh, later Main Street Bank Santander, uh, 2018, I want to say. There's been a lot more who've now stepped in and, and gotten comfortable with that now that there's a bit more track record of an understanding of, uh, of what's going on in the market. I'd say the biggest thing is also developing your sort of proprietary view of where is their value to you compared to other technologies and, and participants in the market. Because, well, you run a gas plant different from a, a battery plant, even though mm. both are, are technically merchant assets. Okay. Um, the electric buses or electric fleets part, on one hand, people might think, well, that's very different from a battery. On the other hand, it's a battery on wheels in another way so um can you talk a bit about why those two on one hand different parts of the market and your strategy around being in electric fleets as well as large-scale stationary batteries yeah I, I might start with the sort of the high level picture and then come down to a few of the tactical considerations or pragmatic mm. consideration along the way that causes to be in both the on the high level uh, as you pointed out uh, a bus or a truck might have half a megawatt hour um, on board and charge anywhere between seven kilowatts and 350 kilowatts so they're both a large energy user um, but also there's storage in there uh, as well because you can change how quickly you charge and in some cases you're even talking about bi-directional which i guess at some point in the future will make sense in certain markets but 
at, at a high level, if you look then at the number of vehicles there are in the UK, 40,000 buses, uh, half of that again in, in coaches, and maybe 10 times that when you start looking at trucks and vans, there's a huge reservoir of, of energy consumption there that is actually quite flexible uh, because mm. what the customer uh, or the operator cares about is that their vehicle is ready to go on the road when they need it. They don't really care whether you charge it in five minutes, in an hour, in two hours, as long as you stay within the, the operational window they've got available. Um, so it's a bit similar to what's true for the energy market in general is that a, a, lo- a small segment of the market is actually most of the consumption and most of the, um, uh, the flexibility, um, looking at industrial load versus residential again here. So, so the could, on that, yeah. question, could you then say that if you, this might be too stark, but if you want to be in the storage market, then you've got and potential to access a lot of storage that's built into buses, into fleets, into heavy vehicles. And if you're not accessing that, you're only ever going to be in part of the storage market. Um, I think they they, they all play in the same market, but uh, in the same grid services markets Mm -hmm. or trading markets, etc. But I think the the point I'm trying to make is that the energy network and the transport network are merging, right? If you... Look, for instance, a school bus in America is parked up 17 hours a day and barely does 30 miles, right? So that's actually a battery that once in a while carries kids. Um, A bus in London that runs on 24 hours, it's more the inverse, but there's no longer this stark black and white difference between the two. It's it's getting a lot more gray depending on the usage patterns. Now, for us, how we got into this was we started as an owner and operator of grid skill storage. We started writing our own uh, dispatch logic, uh, dispatch software, analytical models to optimize these assets. And we realized that rather than solving just macro bottlenecks on the transmission or the the high-level distribution grid, there's a lot of local bottlenecks in the grid um, with large energy users and particularly future large energy users such as the fleets uh, for the reasons I just mentioned. So we started putting small batteries in bus depots, adapting our software as well, running an inverter with some batteries attached to it. When a bus or a truck is plugged in, electrically that looks quite the same. And uh, the... It's again an environment where high uptime uh, and uh, reliability is very important. So we found that there were a lot of parallels between the two. We can then also use our grid services capabilities from our large scale portfolio and the resources we had available to pool with these smaller batteries in the bus depots or potentially even the, the flexible loads in those depots to generate additional income. And that then again means that we could lower the cost of the energy transition for the fleet operators. So you get sort of a positive effect from that. The second positive effect or link between the two businesses was that we worked out a way to reuse the batteries from the buses in stationary applications afterwards. So then the bus is helping to make the energy storage device Mm -hmm. more competitive. So you get the sort of positive snowball effect. Now, we didn't really find that there were lots of individual companies doing all these different things. So... In a way, out of sheer misery, uh, we decided <laughs> to do it all within our own business. Uh, I can see the buses give you, yeah, the synergies, you outline them very clearly. And when we think of grid services, it's easy to think of national grid services. But in the next years, I think we're going to need more, see more and more demand for local grid services at lower levels of the distribution network. And that's where smaller batteries at bus depots or whatever will come into their own, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, you're looking at the storage market a lot. Do you see lots of other Zenobis or um, you know new companies moving into the space? There's existing big vertically integrated utilities that are in this space as well. How diverse? How diverse is it at the moment? I think it's very diverse. I think that I mean we're the work I'm doing, we're often dealing with them, with the kind of developers and investors. And I mean, the, the range of the types of companies that are getting involved in the UK storage market is quite, is quite wide. So you've got, as you say, the traditional sort of big six vertically integrated. You've got both international and domestic sort of developers of more traditional power generation, so renewable developers and um, thermal asset developers getting into the storage market. You've got all the sort of private equity money. You've got kind of large industrial companies who are looking at you know, putting on-site, you know, they've got on-site demand and generation and adding a battery to that mix. So at, at different factories across the country, for example. Um, and then you've got these sort of these sort of new companies such as Zenobi, these these kind of infrastructure, kind of, a, you know, this, this full value chain of the, of the storage asset. Um, and then I guess going further down the, the value chain, then you've got the, the actual sort of operators and optimizers and, you know, some of these, um, investors and developers are, are, are doing that job as well, but some there are also companies who are sort of specialising in the the operation and optimization of of these assets. So, you know, it's obviously a very complex sort of hourly basis. Yeah. Yeah. So though they're less infrastructure companies, they're more trading optimization uh, companies. Exactly. Yeah. Stephen, how do you see that playing out? I mean, I'm sure you see a big role for Zenobi in the future, but uh, how do you see that? ecosystem that Chris described, all those different uh, types of companies in the future, do you think it will consolidate a lot or do you think you'll have some companies specializing in certain parts, certain activities, others covering the full value chain? Well, the first thing I know the topic was sort of crystal ball, so I'll try and avoid uh, phrases associated with that, but it is very difficult to uh, forecast how this is all going to shake out. I think we're in a Mm. tremendous... um, a transition and area of market growth. So I think they'll in 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 the short to midterm there'll be a role for a lot of experimentation, different business models, etc. But I do think over time you will see uh, some consolidation, which can happen in a variety of ways. Which is um, uh, certain people going very deep and and becoming specialists in in their part of the value chain or a particular uh, customer or a particular product. Uh, mm-hmm. While others uh, might actually, um, uh, yeah, orient themselves slightly differently, but I do think the the scale piece is again uh, important here because I mean one challenge that we saw, for instance, with the the aggregator model, uh, which was one of these business models, uh, still around actually, was uh, in 2016-17. They had to do a lot of the education and the work to get customers and other people to develop yeah. a stationary storage project, and then in the end, they only ended up with a tiny sliver. Of, uh, of the value chain. So that's actually quite a challenging model to, to scale and to grow. And you also see more players such as ourselves as they got scale to bring some of those capabilities in-house selectively. We're also seeing OEMs in some cases try to develop in software and then realize running a factory is very different from running a team of uh, project managers and uh, mans and vans that need to go to sites and, and build infrastructure. So I think the, the models um, yeah, it's too early to tell what models will be successful, but I do think you'll start to see more integrated 
models uh, because there's a huge need for um, customers to have partners that help them in the transition who can sort of be that one one point of contact uh, to deal with uh, the wild new world while they focus on their core core operations. So I do believe that that will be key. And I believe that Zenobi will be one of the players uh, doing that. Yeah. And what have you found hardest so far in your journey? What's been the, the biggest challenge or the hardest thing to do? Or it depends a bit on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> well, the mountain you have yet to climb always looks the biggest and the one uh, yeah. you just climbed, doesn't it? But the... I'd say, I mean, the, some of the harder things, it's always, we, we like doing hard things and we like doing things first. So we're the first with these charging as a service on, on fleets, first put second life batteries back into charging infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the first project is, is always the hardest. But what, what I do find is that the speed with which the market evolves and the speed at which we're now being asked to grow um, is... Um, is a, is is a challenge because the, the the challenge is not finding the opportunity. The focus has to be ruthlessly on execution, right? I mean, the biggest thing is you want to make sure that as you you scale up and as you grow, that everyone continues to have the same smooth experience that they ha that people had when, say, the company was smaller. So I would say, have you got, probably... have you got to, to to bring it to life? Have you got an example of one or two of those execution challenges, or any any war stories of the last years? Where... Well, uh, the lack of stand. I mean, if you to talk about a wider topic, the lack of standardization in the market still, right? If you look at OCPP and other communication protocols, or DNP three, or, or 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 on on the utility side, mm. these are all vague standards, um, like more like guidelines. Uh, I wouldn't even talk use VHS or Betamax comparison because it's even worse than that. Um, so that causes a lot of work required and, and, and heat and friction rather than forward momentum when you're integrating a vehicle or a, a battery storage system with a new control system, et cetera, et cetera. And we're doing that effort. The OEMs are doing those integration efforts. Other people are doing those efforts. So there's a whole lot of energy from the sector that is sort of evaporating in, in duplicating efforts just because we've got poor standards and, and, and regulation, uh, et cetera. So I think those are some of the, the, the big challenges uh, that, are, that we have had and that I expect to see going forward. And if you had to highlight particular skills and competences, I mean, your Zenobi spans a lot of different well, you talked at the beginning, you know, it doesn't fit mm. into one of these neat boxes. Um, what are the hardest competences to develop or recruit? I think it's it's um, translating deep sector expertise to something a data scientist or a software engineer uh, or an electrical engineer does something with, right? Because if you look at putting charge points in very tight bus depots where you might it might have been designed for 100 buses. There's currently 150 diesel buses. You now need to find space for charging infrastructure and play Tetris with 18-ton vehicles at night to get them to a charger. Um, and at the same time, then translate that to a software problem that works rain or shine, right? Uh, and that then also can be used easily by people across the organization with different training backgrounds. So that whole communication aspect and being able to translate from one to the other is, is a challenge. And I'd say if you look at the people we tend to hire, electrical engineers, data scientists, um, 
legal pragmatic legal professionals etc <laughs> these are all people that are very difficult to find in uh, in the current environment but i think the way you make the difference is by um attract attracting them with very complicated and challenging problems and and the story right we're trying to do something that has meaningful impact um not just in the sort of grand net zero scale but in the small local community benefit uh, scale as well uh, and i think that's what what makes the difference in, in trying to tackle that problem and we try to yeah say compete with google and others to to attract this kind of talent okay thanks Stephen. um chris from your perspective the the work you do uh analyzing the market forecasting supporting companies in the market what do you see as the biggest challenges in the uh storage market at the moment um, so, so, so there are lots of hard problems in the storage market. So I think, uh, I, so I heard someone say that, you know, that storage has made power market analysis interesting again. Um, which I think I, I would agree, but it also has made it very complex as well. So, you know, I think the the day-to-day optimization problems are very, are very complex and, and challenging, but I feel like they're at least a bit of a contained problem. Um, I feel like the kind of analysis when you're looking kind of further into the future it's it's more around you know it's just a very constantly evolving you know the, the, not only is what what the world looks like you know tomorrow or the next day you know a bit uncertain but that where we're going to be in five ten years time is very is very uncertain because of you know constantly evolving kind of you know government targets and regulatory environments and those sorts of things and, and all of that I mean, navigating all of that's really challenging i think for companies the kind of the actual financing of these assets which is something Stephen kind of touched on earlier in the podcast is is very challenging and working out yeah. a, a good structure of where risk sits across the different parties that are involved but yeah there's there's lots of there are lots of uh, not lots easy. of hard problems <laughs> to be solved yeah yeah, I think on the regulatory side, if I could just add one thing, is um, you've got all these different departments, right, that are suddenly interfering with each other, right? You've got Bayes, you've got Ofchem, you've also got the Department for Transport, uh, at the Treasury, and they're all trying to work out who's ex- exactly accountable for this and, and how, see, I'm not, how I'm do sure we make sure... I'm sure that's not a UK problem. I'm sure you see that in the Netherlands, Belgium, Australia, <laughs> every place you go. Uh, yes, yes. And and all... But well, what's interesting is that they're all asking the same questions, Right. Um, it's that whole sort of dilemma of yeah cost reliability and green and mm. how do you get all three right um, which um, which is challenging but perhaps there's more dialogue needed uh, as you said uh, uh, John between the governments here and the governments there to sort of see oh how have you solved those challenges and can we learn from each other rather than trying to reinvent the wheel locally yeah I do feel that at the moment that whether it's energy storage, whether it's decarbonization of heat, uh, whether it's the future pressures on low voltage distribution networks, it's the same challenges with slightly different circumstances, but everyone's facing the same challenges. Um, Let's bring up the talking new energy crystal ball now and look forward. Uh, We've been looking forward a bit in the discussion, but let's look firmly forward now to five years time, set the dial to 2027. Stephen, can you describe your vision for Zenobi in five years' time? We've talked a bit about challenges, but if you want to add a, a particular challenge to getting to that vision. And Chris, can you give us a view for storage in, let's say, in Great Britain, 
that's your your focus for now uh, in five years' time and the biggest challenge to reaching that future for storage. So Stephen, let's start with you and Zenobi. Yeah, I mean, what, what I would like to see uh, five years from now looking back is that we've managed uh, on a national level, but on, on or the regions where we operate, that we've managed to outperform uh, the decarbonization targets in those countries and that we've, we've been a big part of, of achieving that, to, not just as Zenobi individually, but as a sector uh, as a whole with lots of new and interesting business models. Uh, that's one thing I, I would like to see in five years looking back. Um the second thing, what I do believe, I do believe that that is generally possible with the technologies we've got today, the capital uh, that's available in the market today, um, and uh, the experience that's being gotten in the market. I do think it's generally possible to show that a lot of these ambitions that we've got today are, are not ambitious enough and can be outperformed. And can you put any, you said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, in terms of metrics, 270 megawatts of grid storage. Uh, grid scale storage, 660 electric buses. Would you be hoping to put a zero, a zero on the end of that in five years' time? A couple of zeros. How how fast can you doubling, go? tripling, uh, doubling, tripling every year is what we've been doing. So I've, I'd like to keep that going for another five years, if possible. Yeah. Okay. Um, Chris, how about you and the storage market in Great Britain in five years' time? What will we see in the next five years? I mean, it will have developed a long way. I mean, there's there's probably six gigawatts of, of storage that's committed through capacity market contracts um, of battery storage plus, and that's only out, takes you through probably only three and a half years into the future. So there's probably looking at eight, nine, even something like that gigawatts of, of battery storage, you know, standalone grid scale battery storage in the in the UK in five years time. Um, but, but, but it's needed, right? So there's, there's huge amounts of offshore wind coming onto online over the, mm. over that time period. You know, National Grid is, wants to be able to operate the power system um, for certain you know in, for certain hours in, in, a, in a net zero with completely net zero technologies um, by 2025, which is only three years away. Yeah. So you know all of that all of that battery capacity is is needed to kind of be able to achieve that sort of decarbonisation targets. So you know that's that's a that's a huge a huge transition from where we where we are now with sort of less than two gigawatts on the on the system and you know the UK is definitely a, a market leader in that space. Yeah, well it sounds like the um, the storage market has definitely moved from being experimental to, to really commercial and fast moving. Lots of contracts as you described, uh, Chris. Um, Stephen, you described the market as a bit not messy at the beginning, but lots of different companies playing different roles in the market. And I'm sure that will shake down over the next years. But there's real momentum now. It's, I think, uh, Great Britain shown in many ways it can uh, have a, a leading role in integrating the amount of renewables we've got coming on stream. And it's really, really exciting to hear, Stephen, what you've been doing with Zenobi, what your, what your vision is. Uh, and Chris, thanks for your views on the market. So, uh, Stephen, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Um, Chris, uh, thanks and look forward to you joining future podcasts as we work closer together. And as always, thanks to everyone for listening and look forward to welcoming you back to the episode next week. Thanks and goodbye.
If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Thank you.